Welcome to the podcast, I'm your host Remy, and this is Simple Reflections of Christianity, where we look at issues of Christianity and seek the wisdom of antiquity. Once again welcome to Season 2 of Simple Reflections of Christianity with me Remy. I, concerning the way in which the gospel believed gives peace and hope. This work is also available in the public domain. Samuel Pike, 1717 question mark 1773, was a British clergyman and a member of a religious movement known as Sandemanians. 2. Concerning the way in which the gospel believed gives peace and hope. There is a certain central truth, which runs through the Bible from the beginning to the end, and which we may be tempted to overlook or not to discern in its proper importance and beauty, amidst a firm belief of all the distinguishing doctrines of Calvinism, as they are usually stated and I think of no better form of expressing it at present, than this, Jesus Christ in all His grace and fullness, is declared in the gospel for this very purpose, to appear as the only, the immediate and the sure foundation of a lost sinner's hope. As such, without multiplying words at present to expatiate upon, to explain and prove, this principle, I would rather illustrate it by setting forth some of the proper effects thereof upon the mind and heart. This truth, I say, when clearly understood and believed upon divine evidence, does immediately silence the objections, and remove the discouragement of the convinced sinner. Nay, the very belief of this truth, evidently contains in it a conviction of the sinner's helpless and hopeless condition in himself, for otherwise, Christ would not appear as his only foundation of hope. And when the soul beholds Christ as his immediate and sure foundation, he cannot but have some peace of conscience, and some encouraging sense of the divine free favor, such as draws off the heart, in proportion to the efficacy of the truth upon the mind, from self, sense, and sin, and produces a love to God in Christ, and so becomes a principle of all gospel obedience. So necessary is this truth, that unless it be properly understood and cordially believed, all the other doctrines of the word can have very little efficacy upon the mind, yea, no evangelical effect at all. But if this truth be received, or introduced into the conscience, all the other doctrines of the word will be found not only consistent with it, but connected with it, illustrated by it and subservient to it. This central doctrine is what is more emphatically called the truth or the gospel, and stands distinguished from the other truths of the word in several passages of sacred writ. For instance, is the doctrine of particular election a gospel truth? We are said to be chosen to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Is the doctrine of regeneration a divine truth? we are said to be begotten, through the gospel, or with the word of truth. As to adoption, it is said, we are all the children of God, by faith in Christ Jesus. As to sanctification, it is said, we are sanctified through the truth, and as to perseverance, it is plain, we are kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, and so as to spiritual consolation, it is evident, we are filled with all joy and peace in believing. This central truth is the principle and proper matter of faith, and Christ or God in Christ appearing in it, is the proper and only object of faith. In beholding and believing the absolute necessity, entire perfection, and the immediate unconditional friendness of God's grace in Christ, we have our self-righteous confidence opposed and suppressed, and have the discouragements of our souls in measure removed. In this truth we have Christ and all His salvation brought near, exceedingly, immediately near to our souls and to our case, so that nothing appears to stand between him and us, however unworthy, guilty, polluted and miserable we have been, and therefore as soon as ever it is rightly perceived, and actually believed, we being justified by faith, have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It is evident I am not here pleading for what is commonly called a bare historical faith, wherein a person looks upon himself as a sort of a bystander with respect to the matter of his faith, for whosoever does not see that the gospel report points directly at him and at his own case, cannot be said to apprehend the truth in its proper light. It is indeed certain, that almost every other doctrine may be perceived in a kind of speculative or historical manner, a person may believe and contemplate the doctrines of particular election and redemption as a bystander, because he does not see his own immediate personal concern in it. The same may be said of the doctrines of efficacious grace and of the saint's perseverance. If a person does not see that what the gospel says of Christ and salvation by him is entirely necessary for him, exactly suited to his case, and free for his use, he is still kept at some distance, apprehending the doctrines of grace to be little more than a general declaration of what God intends to do or has done upon or for some sinners, without seeing any personal concern of his own in the matter. I am very sensible that the doctrines of the Bible are often conceived in such a light as to become a sort of objection against the open friendness of the hope held forth in the gospel, for we are very ready to say in our mind, that since God does not tell us who in particular were elected and redeemed, or who shall be wrought upon effectually, and see, therefore a person must be sensible of some visible or real change passed upon him for the better, before he may or can venture to receive any degree of satisfying hope in Christ Jesus revealed in the gospel. But if we can recollect that particular election and redemption, and that the operations of the Spirit are intended to bring sinners to know and embrace this hope of the gospel, it will then appear that all these doctrines are rather a confirmation of, than an objection against, this blessed hope. For the conscientious belief of this gospel truth, is above and contrary to our natures as it draws us off from all that which we are naturally attached to and fond of. We are always inclined to oppose, mistake, despise or suspect this hope, and are very ready to understand the gospel, in such a light as leaves some room for self-dependence, self-indulgence, or for entertaining some delusive hopes. For these reasons, together with others, there is an entire necessity for the divine agency of the Holy Spirit, to introduce it into our consciences and maintain it in our hearts. I might here further observe, that this truth makes the gospel hope appear so free and humbling, that we naturally scorn it, as it sets us all upon a level before God, that it appears to us to be very defective, narrow, weak and foolish, because it does not give us directly such a full satisfaction concerning our own special interest, as should leave us in a kind of state of safety somewhat independent upon God in Christ believed on, that it is offensive to our corrupted nature, because it obliges us to live so near to and so constantly dependent upon an infinitely holy and sovereign God. In a word, our natural wish and desire is, to have something in ourselves to be a ground and reason of peace and hope towards God, and therefore we are fond of leaning upon and desirous to prop up some such kind of hope, while we are averse to and suspicious of that sure foundation which God has laid in Zion, because it is something distinct from the consideration of anything in ourselves. All these things, with many more, concur to render it necessary for a divine almighty agency to be employed in writing this truth upon our hearts. But when this supernatural truth is made by the Spirit to take possession of our souls, it draws us off from our natural wish and desire, from self-dependence and self-indulgence, and leads us to look to and live upon God in Christ as our only and entire hope and portion, as our free refuge and sanctuary. Hereupon there begin to appear some evidence of our particular election and redemption. The immortal seed of the word is sown in the heart, a new principle introduced, a new spring of affections and actions is given whereby the soul is rendered capable of holding communion with God and aims from this hope and love at a conformity to Christ. 
and as such things as these appear and advance in the affections and conduct, the evidence of a special interest in Christ are discovered. Not that this person's hope, pleasure, and satisfaction arises only or chiefly from this evidence of interest, but from the glory, perfection and friendness of divine grace appearing in a revealed Christ. For it is this which he is all along in his eye, for his hope and dependence, while he advances forward in bringing forth such fruits of faith as show him to be a disciple of Christ. In proportion then as the believer is favored with this satisfaction from the friendness of divine grace revealed, the fruits of it appear, and in that proportion his evidence are brightened, but as these things decline, his evidence of interest disappear. I am very sensible after all that has been said, that the turning, pinching point lies in this question, is it possible for that truth, which has a uniform aspect towards all sinners as such, and which is as true concerning those that perish as those that are saved, to give any solid satisfaction, or to afford solid hope to any individual? An answer to this question in the affirmative, may readily be accounted very enthusiastically, and the laying any stress upon such a truth for satisfying peace and hope, may be thought both unaccountable and dangerous, as if there could not be sufficient in it, to bear the weight that is laid upon it. But let not our reason at once boldly judge it to be impossible. Who knows what the wisdom of God can contrive and declare? And I hope to make it appear both from fact, from doctrine and from experience, that this is the very ease with respect to the important doctrine before us. Unless there be a truth in this, the gospel cannot be accounted glad tidings of boundless joy to all people, the joy of the primitive Christians upon their first apprehending and believing the gospel, will appear to be without a proper foundation. And unless there be some solid joy and peace to be had from the pure gospel believed, we could never be able to perform any duties, or exercise any graces in an evangelical way, until we could arrive at some assurance of our own personal interest, but how any such assurance can be had, before evangelical duties are performed, or gospel experiences felt, is not conceivable. But after all, it will still be inquired, is it possible for a person to receive any solid satisfaction from a doctrine that is as true concerning those that perish, as those that are saved? I answer, we need not look far for proper similitudes to illustrate this matter by. If two persons are under the same disease, and both of them are told of the same free remedy, he that upon the relation believes the remedy to be effectual and free, is immediately comforted in his mind with hopes of a cure, and accordingly applies, while he that suspects either the efficacy or frenness of it, receives no relief to his mind about it, and perhaps perishes under the disease, though the remedy was as effectual in its nature, and as free in itself, with respect to his cases to the others. I might add a variety of similar comparisons, borrowed both from nature and scripture, to exemplify or familiarize this subject, such as a testimony concerning a gift to be received, a free prop to lean upon and see. Now in such cases as these, it is certain, that if a person's mind be not in some measure relieved, pacified and encouraged by such a report, he does not really believe it, however he may profess it, but entertains some objections or scruples in his mind about it, unless he be supposed to be absolutely stupid and unconcerned about his own disease, want or danger, in which case it is plain he is not apprised of the necessity of such a relief for himself. Now when a person receives his hope and peace from such a free open testimony, he is not relieved by the thought of any difference between him and another, to whom it is as free and suitable as to himself, neither does he apprehend himself to have a better right or a clearer interest than another, but his satisfaction arises from the truth reported, which he apprehends and believes, though another does not. Now to bring this over to spiritual concerns. The free grace truth of the gospel affords hope and encouragement, 
and becomes the foundation of all those actings of the believing soul, commonly called acts of faith, but may be more properly called actings of love, for faith always operates by love, such as trusting, coming, embracing, and the like, for no person will come to Christ or trust in God, or embrace the promises, unless he has first a love in his soul to God in Christ, arising from a view and belief of his free grace. Neither are these actings of the mind to be considered as any arduous or difficult attempt to obtain peace and hope towards God, for they naturally arise and flow from the encouraging and soul-pacifying truth believed. They are merely motions or thoughts of the mind, generated and excited by the gracious truth believed. For in such spiritual cases, we must cast aside all the external acts of the body, by which they are represented and expressed, and built upon. While this truth is clear in a person's mind, he can and does rest upon it, or rather upon God in Christ revealed therein, and so, it becomes his continual support and refreshment, yea, and his continual motive to love and obedience. This is living by the faith of the Son of God. And in proportion as a person is quickened, enlivened, animated, and supported hereby, in that proportion he is conscious of his connection with Christ, and vital union to him, because he now knows and feels in his own heart, that he has his strength and comfort directly and immediately from Christ revealed. Thus, God gives his people a sense of his love, an enjoyment of his favor, and a proof, seal, or evidence of their own interest in him. If a person loses sight of the truth or is turned from it in any degree, he so far can have no true rest and is in danger of seeking rest from some other quarter or settling his hopes upon some false, foundation. Thus, he loses the true enjoyment of God's favor, and can never be recovered to it, but by being driven off from every other attempt, and having this truth afresh revived upon his mind, by some means or other. And among the various methods which the Spirit may use to recover a backslider, an eminent one is to bring to remembrance past experiences of the efficacy of the gospel, not that his comfort may arise from those experiences, but from that free and perfect grace that lay at the foundation of them. The belief of this truth, together with its genuine influence upon the heart and conduct, is that which distinguishes believers from unbelievers. And whatever physical influences of the Spirit may be supposed in the matter of, regeneration and sanctification, separate from the truth believed, these can have no apparent share in pacifying the conscience and comforting the heart, as they are in their own nature utterly invisible, and so cannot become a matter of Christian experience. Neither must anything before or distinct from the thought of a free and perfect Savior be here admitted, in giving case to the conscience, if it be, the peace resulting from thence is delusive, and derogatory to the all-sufficiency of Christ's work. I would farther observe, that upon this plan, true holiness and true consolation keep pace with each other, until we come to such a situation, as to be beyond all hazard of losing this holy enjoyment in any degree, which cannot be till we come to glory. This likewise the believer is kept in a state of constant immediate dependence upon God, so that while he is guarded against any abuses on the one hand, lest a promise being left of entering into God's rest, he should seem to come short of it, he has on the other hand sufficient encouragement and pleasure in the way of gospel holiness, being attracted and enlivened by the continual hope of the free gospel. The believer has at no time ground to say, My mountain stands strong, and I shall never be moved, but he has at all times reason to say, The Lord is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, and he actually does say it in his heart, as long as he is favored with the sight of the necessity, sufficiency and friendness of divine grace in Christ for himself. The believer's peace and joy then, rises and sinks just in proportion as he perceives the evidence of this gospel truth, as pointing to himself as well as to any other, accordingly, 
He cannot tread in any forbidden path for peace and comfort with this truth in his eye, without being struck with a solemn reflection, that he is now departing from the true God, undervaluing the hope of the gospel, and despising that love which is as jealous as it is attractive. The room that is left for this solemn reflection, is that which keeps us in a state and sense of absolute, constant, immediate dependence upon God in Christ. This is indeed what we very much want and aim to be set free from in some degree and in some way or another. But the gospel in its purity will not permit it. Let it not here be thought that this manner of stating things produces a slavish fear of divine wrath, for he is not afraid of evil tidings whose heart is fixed trusting in the Lord. So that his fear only serves to keep or drive him from every false way and dangerous refuge, and to fix his heart and hope upon God in Christ, as his only hope and portion. Brief Thoughts